We're back with another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Going to talk about a topic here, Ron, that's uh, near and dear to every parent's heart, I suppose. You've got your youngsters living at home, and they finish their education, if that's the line that they choose to take. And they say, well, gee, maybe uh, it's time I looked into buying a home, but gosh, mom and dad, I don't know that I'll ever be able to afford it. How often have we heard that lately? And, you know, that's the common narrative, especially among youth today, is that they'll, you know, those prices are just out of sight. And they quote uh, the reasons as being, well, they don't make enough money, home prices are too high, large down payments are a barrier. And, or, you know, especially in places like Toronto or Vancouver, they say, well, I'll never be able to live in the location of, of my choice. And I find that particularly interesting because. I was never able to live in the location of my choice on my first home either, you know. Uh, you move out to the Burbs, maybe uh, Sherwood Park, or, or you may move out even uh, a little further. Maybe you live out in Leduc, and you commute every day. You move to places where you can afford a little more. You move to Alberta instead of downtown Toronto, and you save for a house, and then eventually, if you get transferred to Toronto, you've got enough to buy a place there. But, you know, um, all these things that are used as excuses, frankly, are excuses if you're not willing to make sacrifices. And of course, you and I both know lots of people who arrived in Canada 10 years ago. They own their own homes. Their kids are well on their way to owning their own homes. They're doing something that we're not. And, you know, we want to address some of those things as well as other issues. But home ownership is affordable. You know, of course, uh, people always quote Toronto and Vancouver, but if you take those out of the narrative and look at really the rest of our enormous country, um, you can still get into a home if you've got a, if you um, exercise a little bit of patience and a little bit of discipline and a little bit of hard work. Okay, so do we do we want some historical perspective here, Ron? Like anecdotally, let's talk about what we did, right? Yeah. Well, my first house cost me seventy thousand dollars. It was kind of an old dump in in old Glenora, or not Gl old Glenora. Old Glenora was the expensive part where all the rich people lived. But on the other side of 107th Avenue was Glenora. And there's a lot of old houses in there. Well, back in 1978, I bought one. And my wife and I at the time were making, I think between the two of us, about $20,000. I think we were making about $9,000 each at the time. And that worked out to about three and a half times our family's combined salary. And the house we bought was, was no mansion. It was a three-level split. So it didn't have a basement. It had 400 square feet on each floor. So we had 1,200 square feet, which would be the equivalent of a 600-foot house with a 600-foot basement. So it wasn't a big place, but it had a garage and it had a 150-foot lot. And we did a lot of sweat equity on it. And we fixed it up and, and we were able to go from there. But you look at the average salary today in 2020 was uh, $61,865. And that's after really seven years of, of miserable oil prices. And so for a couple, um, they're making on average about $123,000 a year in Alberta. And if you take what I paid for a house, which was three and a half times our salary, today that will allow you to buy a $371,000 home, which uh, even today, I, you know, I went online 
and th that's a decent starter home. It's not a mansion, but it's a decent starter home. And it's a starter home that frankly is considerably nicer than the first home I bought 43 years ago when I started. Yeah, so um, with expectations through the roof, yeah, of course you can't afford a place. But let's take a look at the average first-time home buyer. And a Bank of Montreal survey shows that the average first-time home buyer is a little older than they used to be, but they're not leaving home till they're about 30 now. And so the average first-time home buyer is 36 years old, puts up 16% of their down payment, uh, or $50,576, and buys a home for $316,000. This means that the, uh, the homeowner is going to have to pay some mortgage insurance because they didn't quite put up the 20 grand. Um, but they'll have a mortgage of around 270,000 and a five-year rate can be had for around 1.8% right now. And that will leave you with a mortgage of $1,121 a year. That's pretty a good. A month, a month. Sorry, a well, month. Yeah, and you're gonna pay that in rent probably, right? Yeah, or more. And of course, at 1,121, if you buy yourself a uh, a place, generally they have two or more bedrooms, and and certainly uh, you can rent those out to start. So, you know, it isn't unreachable at all. But what you need is a plan, right? So yes. let's let's outline the plan. Well, I would suggest that what you want to do is spend a few evenings figuring some things out. You want to figure out what you can afford. You want to figure out how you can get your down payment. And then if you're going to buy with less than 20% down, you want to figure out how much your mortgage insurance will cost. And so uh, there are sites that you can go to. And the site that I've always really, really liked, because it's got the tools that will help you calculate these things, is ratehub.ca. And you can use their calculators to figure out all of these things. And so that is the place you should go. But what we're going to do is we're going to walk you through the steps. So now, when you buy a house, you go and you and you talk to a financial institution or a mortgage broker or whatever the case may be, because you've got to get a mortgage. So are there some calculations there that we can look at, or do we get some advice in that regard? If you go in and you, uh, you, you see if you qualify for a mortgage, uh, bankers will actually do it for you. But it's, it's nice to be able to know what these standard debt service ratios are. And the first is called a gross debt service, and it's really the percentage of your monthly household income that covers your, your housing costs. In other words, how much of your monthly income is going to go to meet mortgage payments, condo fees, utilities, and taxes. And to get a loan, you need to have your gross debt service at under 35% of your pre-tax household income. And so you can do that calculation yourself, figure out what your monthly um, income is, multiply by 12, and then multiply by 0.35 and you've got it. And then of course there's total debt service. And that is all your monthly debt. So it includes your credit cards, your car payments, your loan expenses, all of that put together, including what it would cost you to, to buy a house and all those expenses. And you've got to stay under 42% of your pre-tax income to be able to qualify for a mortgage. So if you don't, you've got some financial house cleaning to do. And so why waste your time looking around for a home when um, you've got to get your internal house in order before you start doing this? 
I know uh, our youngest son recently purchased his first home uh, late last year, and there was a lot of angst. You know, gee, how am I going to get this down payment? He kept talking about it when he was living with the, he was rooming with a bunch of guys and they were sharing expenses, and but he wanted to get out on his own and start building some equity. And, and he kept saying to me, how am I going to come up with this down payment, Dad? And I kept saying to him, save some money. <laughs> what a concept. You know? Yeah. What a concept. And, and uh, so uh, we've got, we're going to talk about calculating your down payment, calculating your, your, your mortgage costs. We're going to give you a couple examples which show that you know, it, it's, it's not out of sight. And then we're going to talk about how to save for your down payment. We're going to be doing that yet this show. So when you calculate your down payment... Um, Really, the government wants you to put 20% down and if you don't want to have to take out mortgage insurance, which protects the banker who holds their mortgage from taking a loss if you should default. And if your home has a value of 500000 or less, the down payment can be as little as 5% if you're willing to pay the extra costs of mortgage insurance. So you want to figure out how much you can save and whether home prices are running away faster than you're saving. In other words, are you continually falling behind because home prices are just rising so fast and you might have a compromise where you um, look at buying some uh, mortgage insurance. And to be eligible for CMHC insurance um, to get your down payment under 20%, um, they have the same rules. Your gross debt service has to be less than 35%. Your total debt service has to be less than 42%. You have to have a credit score of 680. And it seems like, Gord, every kid these days knows a lot more about their credit score than I ever did. They can go and look it up, and, and uh, they, they've got an app for it. So, you know, every time they buy something, it the, it monitors what that credit score is. I never knew what my credit score was. I, I, I'd never heard the term until just a few years ago. So, Yeah, and, and most of us old-timers are a little different because we tended to be more conservative in our approach to things. So um, we, we tend to be cash-and-carry people, so we don't buy anything until we can actually afford it. So uh, the final rule for your mortgage default insurance is that you must not borrow money for your down payment. And so let's give a couple of examples. If uh, you can afford a $300,000 home, you want to put 5% down, and you're going to pay the house off over 25 years, mortgage default insurance isn't cheap. It's 11400 and it gets amortized over the term of your, your mortgage, and it's a monthly payment. Now let's say you don't have a lot, a lot of money, and I went to the calculator and I looked at, let's say you make $65,000 a year and you've managed to scrape together an $18,000 down payment. Uh, you're buying a condo because you can't afford a house. Your condo fees are $400 a month and you got a $400 a month worth of car payments. Well, you'd end up with a, a, a mortgage of about $243,000. You'd end up having to get some mortgage insurance and that would be $9,000, so it's not cheap. But your house payment for the two of you would only be $962 a month. And for the two of you, where are you going to rent an apartment for for literally a, a $500 a month each? You know, it isn't going to happen. So it's going to cost you a little bit for mortgage insurance, but frankly, over time, you're actually going to build some equity. Let's let's talk about a strategy, like a plan, that, that makes you able to get into your first house. 
So let's talk about saving for a down payment, because if you don't have your down payment, uh, you aren't going anywhere. First of all, maybe it's kind of gauche, but it seems that younger people have still are having big weddings. And, you know, if you're going to have a big wedding and you've got lots of guests, and, I mean, you can certainly go to a, uh, a website and, and, and have lists of, of, of things that you would like to go or specific stores that they can buy things from. But, you know, people that are, especially that come here from other countries, they have a big wedding, and they ask the guests to bring cash. We used to call that, I think the term was a presentation wedding. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And the guests would take that cash and uh, they would put it to the down payment fund. And often, of course, you'd see the, the, the mother of the bride stand there, take the gifts. <laughs> she wouldn't even end up giving them to the kids. They would go directly into the bank account only to be released when they bought their first home. So that's, that's one way to look at it. So what about a pre-authorized plan of some kind? Well, here again, that's the, uh, we, we've had numerous shows on savings. And you're never going to save any money if you vow that at the end of the month, whatever you got left is going into savings. You will never have anything left. You've got to pay yourself first. So set up a pre-authorized plan at a bank that takes money out of your checking account and puts it into the savings account at the beginning of each month before your other expenses come along, not at the end of the month. And you'd be surprised how quickly this adds up. Now, here's, a, here's what our son employed. He'd, he'd, I'd harped on him when he started working. Set up some kind of a plan for your future. The only one that's going to take care of you is you. So start an RSP, start throwing some money into it, and you have the ability, if you're buying your first home, you can withdraw from your RSP, correct? That's absolutely correct. You can take up to $35,000 from an RSP and pull it out and use it to purchase a home. And the provisio is that if you want, if, if you leave it at, um, unpaid, for longer than 15 years, so you have 15 years to pay it back, that the government's going to ch charge you tax as a withdrawal. But you've got 15 years to pay it back, so, you know, 35000 that's a little over $2,000 a year that you're you're going to have to pay back over 15 years, and that's, that's a couple hundred bucks a month, really. Okay, a side gig, L uh, like show a little initiative, show a little ambition, maybe go out and get a part-time job that you work 20 hours extra a week at, then save that money. I had a side gig, and that's how I saved the down payment for my first house. I bought a racquetball restringing and squash restringing um, machine as my first job. And I used to go around to clubs and collect their rackets, come home and restring them. And then usually once or twice a week, I'd go, and any money I made from that, and the, the markup on because it was it was mostly labor, so any money I made off that there was very little cost because I could buy my gut and and I got so much gut and string that in four years of doing that I never had to rip, I never had to go out and buy more inventory I got a ton of inventory so everything I got just went into the bank and uh, you know at one point I taught swimming lessons at night I taught squash uh, racquetball uh, at night. Um, I coached, uh, I coached teams. I did all kinds of things. You know, I did, 
Uh, I swept floors, whatever I could find. And all the money that I saved from that side gig went toward my mortgage. Act, actually, not my mortgage. It went towards saving for a mortgage. So, well, like, yeah, ambition is the key there. I think that you you got to possess a little bit of that. And it seems these days it's in short supply with a lot of people. What about talking to your folks to to maybe get them to steer you in the right direction? You know, especially parents, if they, they have any resources, they end up buying their kids stuff that, you know, the walls in the garage are lined with all this junk that you have that you never end up using. And so, you know, if you just sat down with the folks on both sides and you said, you know, in, instead of, of spending $1,000 a year on me uh, for Christmas or, or for Christmas and birthday gifts, can you put that toward my down payment? And, of course, if your spouse did the same thing and they were getting $1,000 in gifts a year, that's $2,000 a year. And over five years, you'd have ten grand from just doing that alone. Simple, simple ideas. Um, borrow from the bank to invest in your down payment fund? Well, you're, you're not allowed to borrow for a down payment. But what you can do is, here again, if you're having a tough time saving, borrow, uh, borrow $1,000. Make an RSP contribution. You get $500 back. Pay the $500 off on the loan with your tax refund. And then take um, money, you know, maybe $50 a month or $40 a month over the next 12 months and pay off the $500 that's left. So all of a sudden you're getting a big RSP or, or just borrow some money, put it in some investments and do it over a five or 10 year period and you're gonna have enough for your down payment. And then just make sure you only borrow enough that you can pay it back in a year and then just keep putting it in investments and then you've got that, that pressure on you to pay back that, that loan. And meanwhile, you're building up a nice big fat bank account along the way. That's a pretty simple strategy, but a very effective one I might point out. All right, now there's, there's more to cover here about how to get the strategy in place and, and a step process that we're going to walk through on the next episode of, of Making Money. Uh, again, this is a big topic, and it's one that everybody sort of has a hankering for. Everybody wants their own home, and realistically, not everybody can do it. We understand that, but we're going to cover some of the territory that might set you on the road that you never thought was possible on the next installment of Making Money. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.